0: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au.
1: T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.
2: Welcome to SEN Fridays at the top end at 16, 11 am Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. We will love your listing. Raph, let's face it, mate. It was an anticlimactic grand final last weekend, but before we go in-depth about that game, Tell us about your grand final day. What did it look like? Yeah, my grand final day
3: was actually surrounded by family and friends, mate, because it landed on my birthday for the first time. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a nice bloody Saturday. Um, you know, all the nieces and nephews in the pool, a couple of beers, a uh, couple of nice goose stews, a um, couple of geese on the barbie as well, and surrounded by family and friends, like I said, mate. So it was a good day. Um, it was a lot better day than how the grand final actually went, so... Unfortunately, but yeah, um, yeah, that was my day, mate. How about yourself?
2: Well, my day was just at a mate's house, and I'm normally pretty useless at these events. I'm starting to get to the age now where my friends have, you know, partners and kids and that sort of stuff. So everyone's getting a bit mature. I'm thinking that my only obligation at these events is to rock up with a six-pack or something like that. Everyone else has brought the meat and the bread rolls and stuff to entertain the kids. So I spent the day at a mate's house, was hoping for a close game. Truth be told, I was hoping for a Swans win, but at least a close game, and we didn't get it. Very, very anticlimactic. Raph, what was your job on grand final day? Sorry to hop on this random thing a bit too much, but <laughs> were you on the tools? Are you the type of guy that cooks the barbie or you get all the technology together?
3: Yeah, mate, I, I did a bit of everything. So I set up the TV and got the beers on ice, because um, it was at like my house. Um, when I'm the host, mate, I like to do everything, so... <laughs> I jumped onto Barbie as well until my older brother came over and said, you should sit down, it's your birthday, I can take over. So, um, yeah, Uh, did most of the stuff until the the brothers turned up, Marius and Andrew, and jumped in and helped out. So they allowed me to sit down and have a beer.
2: (laughs) Mate, Isaac Smith, 32 disposals, three goals. He's a guy that is just defying age. How long can he continue playing for? Mate, the way he played
3: on the weekend, he's definitely got another three years in him. and to, to be honest, I, I probably sh- should have picked him. Uh, I, I forgot all about Isaac because he he wasn't too, you know, standoutish in the lead-up games. But he's that type of player that when he's on, he can break a game open well, just because he's game running.
2: He's got experience too, doesn't he? Yeah,
3: that grand final experience, of the gut running, those running those long lines, um, and he's he's simply an athlete, and he's definitely a goal kicker as well. So he can do that on game day. Uh, you know, 32 touches and what did he kick? Two goals, three goals. Three goals. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy stats.
2: How long did it take for your body to start to feel a decline? So I just turned 29 over the weekend and or on Tuesday actually and like I told you about, I'm struggling with the hamstring injury at the moment and, and when you see that 5.30 come around and it's time for training, it's just that little bit more energy I marvel at some of these Geelong players who continue to play the best footy in the country and they're now well into their 30s some of them. I mean Joel Selwood's just announced his retirement which we will touch on later but he's still playing reasonable football. He still played a good role in that grand final. You talk about Mitch Duncan now in his 30s, Tom Hawkins, the list goes on. When in your career did you start to notice a decline in I suppose the way your body felt?
3: Uh, yeah, I suppose I'm I'm a bit different, I guess, because uh, I, I was actually delisted at a, at a good age. Mm-hmm. Which I was 28, so I felt my body for AFL football was still raring to go. I was probably in the best condition I could have been. Um, unfortunately, things didn't you know, go the way you wanted to. And I found myself back here in Darwin playing for St Mary's, and um, you know, I got some good, good years, but uh, I think if you keep that, maintain that, High level of um, training and you know keeping your body in good shape. It's up to your it's up to your body really how how long it can go and like you see these older Geelong boys are still still going. and still in good nick and you know a lot of people say when you get older you got to slow down and you know don't train as hard. But to be honest, I, I reckon and I saw a lot of other older players. I reckon you got to do more when you're older because you got to you got to turn the body over, you got to keep it moving, the joints are a bit stiffer, so... Um, and that's probably why I'm, I'm not playing Premier League footy anymore because I just don't have the time to do the extra training and, mm-hmm. and keep myself in good nick, so... Um, so these older guys will be doing extras, they'll be doing more recovery, they'll be doing, you know, extra touches, extra extra little running sessions here and there, probably not to the same volume as when they were younger, but they'll definitely be doing a lot more than the younger players.
2: I was going to say, they allow all those older blokes at Geelong to have a modified program. They'd hardly have anyone on the track in yeah, those that's early it. months in pre-season. <laughs> but what starts first, Raph? Is it the mental decline or the physical decline? Because you're a modest guy. You spoke about being delisted from the AFL while still at an age that you could probably have produced some good football. Uh, but you continued to set high standards while coming back locally. And we have seen players who have played at state league levels or at the AFL level come back locally. And their decline um, is a lot much more rapid than what, what yours was you still you know won the Chaney medal in your mid-30s so what was it for you was it the mental aspect uh or the physical aspect because your body still looks in pretty good shape yeah it's definitely
3: for me it's uh it's been the physical um just 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 because i haven't been able to get the time into my body um mm-hmm. i might look like i could still run around and play but yeah when i get out there and start running some laps and you know chasing a footy, those next mornings get harder and harder. Yeah, that's they? it. And then, you know, all of a sudden your knee swells up or your ankle swells up and you didn't really hurt it and you go, what's going on here? And you wake up in the morning and it feels like you're being run over. So um, that's the way my body is now. So, um, you know, I thought I was getting off the anti-inflammatories, but I'm back on them just as much as I was when I was in my playing days. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's probably my body that went first um, because in my mind, when I'm watching senior footy up here, you know, you. I actually want to be out there, and I actually want to be doing it. And um, the good thing is, you know, Anthony Vallejo, who's joining us this morning, like he allows me to have input to the younger players. I can grab blokes and tell them where to play, um, and I get to help a lot of guys at training, um, which I enjoy. So the, the mental side is definitely still there, and you can see things happening, and you want to be involved. So um, yeah, the body, the body definitely went for me first. So. Yeah it's uh, unfortunate.
2: The cats have become notorious for being the Mad Monday specialists, and during the week they made headlines again with their retirement village theme. I think Joel Selwood was the orchestrator behind that, hiring out a retirement village bus and all the, all the oldies at Geelong or the Premiership oldies dressed up as, as the elderly. and look, I don't think there was that much uproar, but there's nothing wrong with that, is there?
3: It's yeah, mate, it's uh, it's it's a strange world we're starting to move into, and, and you can't even have a joke these days. And when I seen that headline about people were whinging about it, it, I I just didn't bother reading it because to right? me, like you know, you gotta have about a laugh and have yeah. a joke, and you know, at some stage you won't even be able to say each other's nicknames the way that, we, that we're going, and you'll have to call each other by your last name or something. But you know, it's all in good fun. It's all in good spirit, mate. They they're up and about and. I would have loved to have been in that in that outfit with those boys, and uh, you know get off that bus, especially with a medal hanging around your neck, when everyone's written you off because you're too old. So it's that's perfect, saying, perfect right. celebrations. Winners
2: grinners, losers can please themselves. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Jordan Toogooey's contract situation is really interesting at the moment. There was a little bit of late interest now from Essendon. Essendon, of course, have hired Brad Scott as their new coach. Something we will talk about later in the program. But now they've got that stability where they can start chasing these players and start chasing these players that uh, put themselves up for trade. Jordan Dugowie, perhaps the biggest fish still on the market, did not agree to Collingwood's original contract terms, which included a couple of behavioural clauses in them. I believe the issue stems with Dugowie not being happy about how much control Collingwood have over the situation and that the clauses are a little too broad and too up to interpretation and he doesn't I wouldn't say he doesn't trust the club, but it, it's always a little bit of, you know, you're not putting yourself in the best position there if, if you're leaving it up to the clubs, in the club's hands. What are your thoughts on putting behavioural clauses in contracts, Raf? Because I know the AFL-PA and the AFL itself have their own rules that govern players and code of conduct. Are clubs, should clubs be allowed to put things above and beyond that?
3: Yeah, it's a hard one. And, and moving in, like like we spoke about just with the Geelong guys having a joke, like, um, you know, moving forward, you look at some of the incidents degoey had and they were, you know, the slightest little incidents and because someone's caught it on camera or whatever, it just gets blown out of water. So, I don't know, it's, it's sort of taken away a bit of your freedom as well, I guess. And, and once you you feel like you're, you're, almost like you can't do anything, um, and I, I feel for Dugowie, you know, having those clauses in there. So, if I was him, mate, I'd, I'd, yeah, I wouldn't be, you know, too keen on signing something like that, where you're not only restricted with your footy, but then also trying to restrict you in your free time and what you can do and get up to. That's almost being in prison. Um, yeah. You know, and every everyone plays footy because it's your dream and it's you know it's the ultimate goal. Um, and to have fun and enjoy your footy, but yeah, if you can't even you know go and have a beer how you know and relax on your days off especially after a game of footy then it's it's going to be a long long career mm.
2: Ralph when was your last year in the system last in the AFL uh, 2012 because I was just thinking you were in an interesting time period with social media where when you first started out there probably wasn't a lot of concern regarding how you put your phones away when yep. you're out and about or don't be seen on camera doing that sort of stuff but I know by 2012 Facebook was starting to emerge and a couple of other little social medias. You're probably lucky enough to avoid Snapchat and a couple of those things. But was there much talk during the latter stages of your career about how players need to approach social media? Obviously, we've learned a lot over the last 10 years and the messages back then were probably very different to the messages that that are spoken about now where players are given a little bit of leeway and flexibility to grow their TikToks and grow their social medias outside of footy. What was the instruction by the club when you were going through
3: yeah, we had a couple of meetings uh, towards the end of my career and, and talking about, you know, these type sort of things like Facebook and, you know, make sure you just be careful and stuff you write. Don't write stuff about the club or what we're doing. Um, you know, with your personal life, go for it. But, you know, you just got to be careful. And, and the main message was whatever's been written or whatever's been taken, a photo of and posted, you can never take yeah. get rid of that and it's there forever. Um, so we had a couple of meetings. Um, I still remember to this day we were at a cafe. Me and David Armitage, and they were all talking about this Snapchat and not Snapchat. I think it was Instagram or maybe Twitter. And they it's showed me my how to yeah. There. They showed me how to set it up, and yeah. you know, done my first tweet or whatever it was, and you know, thought thought it was like a uh, I don't know like your first goal in AFL footy. I guess it, it all excited, and you know, you see how many likes you got, and um, but yeah, that's slightly quickly slowed down for me so
2: (laughs) Nah, fair enough we do need to take a break raf this is sen fridays at the top end 16 11 a.m thanks to rain and horn darwin finding a place to write your next chapter
4: live on sen top end 16 11 a.m this is fridays in the top end with jackson clark and raf clark for rain and horn darwin find a place to write your next chapter Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am, this is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark and Raph Clark. For Rain and Horn, Darwin, find a place to write your next chapter.
2: SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16.11am, thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. We will love your listing. Raph, it is going to be a very busy trade period. I want to turn first to some of the expansion clubs. We say expansion clubs, but they've been in the AFL now for ten plus years. The Suns and the Giants—they will again lose a lot of players this trade period. Giants, in particular, with Toronto Hopper and Tanner Bruin set to leave. What can these clubs do to retain young players?
3: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Um, you know, they're in isolated areas, I guess, um, and and players. A lot of players have to move away from home. Um, I think we we spoke many, or touched on you know maybe bigger salaries you know yeah. you know giving the money to be able to hold on to these young talents and and actually build a, a good list for over a good period of time. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting seeing some of the the Suns boys jumping off, especially when they're starting to build a really good list. So I thought um, you know in the next year or two they definitely be playing finals footy for sure. Plus um, the Gold Coast
2: not a bad place to live, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you, you're by yourselves, you're the only footy team up there, you can sort of hide away because all the all the um, NRL stars are up there, take the limelight, and I don't know whether some of those players don't like being the second fiddle, um, <laughs> you know, and want all the limelight, um, but I'm I'm the type of guy who likes to, you know, be hidden away and not being seen sort of thing, so I'd love to be playing up at GWS or the Giants, mate, uh, I mean the Suns, so, um, yeah, like we say, and, there's got to be a better way to retain these players and help these lists, you know, keep that strong core group together and, you know, because they put a lot of time into yeah. their best players and then in four or five years' time they're up and gone and they go and jump onto another list where they see that they're going to play finals straight away and potentially to win a, um, you know, premiership and look at Jeremy Cameron as a oh, yeah. as a pure example and um, um, Stephen May and all those guys, yeah. pressed here and all that, so... Yeah, I think that's all they see, those sellers at those clubs, and they go, well, I'm going to follow him because, you know, I want a premiership, and that's what we play football for, so.
2: Yep. I think, too, Giants and the Suns, they've had a lot of early draftees, and a lot of those draftees naturally have been Victorians. So if you grow up in Victoria, the home of football, and your whole dream, your whole life is to play in the AFL, you're dreaming about playing at the MCG, you're dreaming about playing at Marvel Stadium and those big grounds and being amongst that that football fraternity that Melbourne has. Um, What was your experience like? So you were a kid coming through the, let's face it, were always going to get drafted, I suppose, you know, six months out at least before the draft, highly touted. Did you have any preference as to which club you wanted to go for? And I'm going to guess that it must have been St Kilda, given that your brother was already there. But what did you think about potentially getting drafted to, say, a Dockers or somewhere like that?
3: Yeah, it it was something that I knew I'd have to face, no matter where I was, because I was always going to have to leave Darwin. Fortunately, there's no um, teams up here in Darwin, obviously, and um, obviously grew up barracking for St Kilda, so to have my brother there, um, you know, any kid would want to go to the team that they barracked for, um, but then to have Xavier there was even bonus. So, you know, when other clubs spoke to me at the draft camp, they were like, um, you know, we're, we're sort of not, a, we know we're
2: going to, probably going to, go to St Kilda yeah. so we'll probably leave you alone so. <laughs> yeah, very good mate SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16.11am thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter
4: Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am this is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark and Raf Clark for Rain and Horn Darwin find a place to write your next chapter Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am, this is Fridays in the Top End, with Jackson Clark and Raf Clark. For Horn Darwin, find a place to write your next chapter.
2: SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16.11am, we have plenty more to come after the news.
5: biggest moments called play-by-play from around the world, right here on SEN.
0: Good morning, I'm Anna Pavlou with SEN News. Concerns have been raised about why and how long companies are holding on to personal data of their customers. It comes after the Optus breach, which has revealed the telco had kept data like driver's licence, passport and Medicare details for years when they didn't need to. The Australian Information Commissioner is investigating Optus's compliance with data breach requirements. Essendon has finally settled and appointed their new head coach, with ex-North Melbourne coach Brad Scott, to take the reins. Queen Elizabeth's death certificate has been published by National Records of Scotland. It records her cause of death as old age, with the official time of death listed at 3.10pm local time in Scotland. Buckingham Palace released a statement just after 12.30pm to say doctors were concerned about her health. National Cabinet meets again today with Premiers to talk with the Prime Minister about whether to scrap mandatory COVID isolation altogether. It's currently at five days, but New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet says it's time for people to take personal responsibility.
5: We need to get to the point where we move away from public health orders and we
6: get to a point whereby you sit your stay at home.
0: And Hurricane Ian has left a path of destruction in the southwest of Florida, knocking out power to 2.5 million people as it dumped rain right across the peninsula. It's one of the strongest hurricanes to ever hit the US. SEN Sports next, a new job at the AFL Top.
4: Miss your favourite show? Want to catch up on an interview?
2: Download and listen to every SEN podcast when you want it or on the SEN app.
0: Former Geelong star and current GWS football director Jimmy Bartell has thrown his hat in the ring for the AFL's head of football role following Brad Scott's departure. Scott was officially announced as Essendon's new coach yesterday and departs AFL house after just one year in the current job as the league's football boss. And Callum Mills has taken home Sydney's Bob Skilton best and fairest. Weather's next. Sunny today in the Alice, the top of 27 degrees and sunny tomorrow, 25 expected. Possible showers in Darwin today, 35. Sunny tomorrow, 33. And SEN's your home of this year's AFL trade period. Head to SEN.com.au for all the latest news as it happens.
4: Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. Welcome to Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark and Raf Clark for Rain and Horn darwin finding a place
2: to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16, 11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. We will love your listing. Raph, as I touched on before, it is going to be a very busy trade period. Jack Graham, Richmond midfielder Jack Graham, has toured Port Adelaide's facilities. There was a little bit of talk about Graham being gettable a couple of years ago. I know there was a lot of interest from Carlton and a bit of interest from Essendon. He is a player that... Would have played a lot under your brother Xavier. What are your thoughts on Graham as a player and where he fits into the Tigers and what he would offer Port Adelaide?
3: Yeah, I like the way um, he plays, old Graham, because he gives you a bit of that inside and outside run. Um, and, and he's a great ball user, so I think that'll really help Ollie Wines if you're playing him through the mid um, and also off a halfback, um, just to give you that bit more, better ball use going forward. Um, so, yeah. You know, I don't like to see him leaving Richmond. I've I've sort of gotten a grown a soft spot over the last four or five years because Xavier's been there. Um, but you know, if he's got a bigger, better deal in front of you, like that's the way the AFL's going these days. It's there's not much loyalty anymore. And it's more of a business. So you know, it'd be good to see him in the Port Adelaide colours and you know, taking a leaps
2: and bounds. He's a funny one, Jack Graham. When I look at Jack Graham, I just think slow. But when I watch him play, he's Speed actually isn't too bad. His repeat sprints and his effort to get from contest to contest and apply that defensive running, I think is really integral for Richmond and I think something that they will lose. Jack Gunston to Brisbane is the big talk. He'll slot into that forward line position vacated by Dan McStay. Do you like that fit?
3: Yeah, when I seen this one, mate, I I, I actually um, was happy about it because I think that's what the lines were missing, that little bit of a... You know, that older head up forward, that bit of leadership, um, you know, premiership experience as well. Um, you know, just just gives you that really, uh, what do you call a consistent forward, yeah. you know, because you look at the other tall forwards um, uh, during the finals for Brisbane, they, they sort of went missing and, you know, you're relying on Jeremy Cameron to sort of get you over, Charlie Cameron, sorry, to get you over the line. So, Jack Gunston, he's always going to provide that contest and give you that real strong lead up forward um, and just a bit more direction as well, so you know if the Brisbane Lions do get him or if they've already got him, mate, that's a, that's a great deal for the Lions.
2: Gunston joins that crew of Grant Birchell and Luke Hodge of the ex-Hawks going up to join Chris Fagan, well, I'm sure he would hope Chris Fagan, uh, depending on all, how the battle plays out, but is there another premiership left in Gunston? Do you think that Brisbane are right within that window?
3: Yeah, mate, look, they've got that great list um, and they've played finals, you know, the last four or five years, so if they can stay in that, you know, that same four or five top seems five. Like four or such a, sorry to
2: cut you off, Raph. It just seems like such a hurdle, doesn't it, with the Lions? Because every year they seem to be like, oh yeah, they're the in top, top premiership two or three side, yeah. top two or three. But then they get smashed in the prelim or they get belted at the MCG, <clears> and it seems like they're just so far off.
3: Yeah, that's it, and probably helping, you know, get some of these guys from Melbourne, Gunson and those those older heads might might help them, you know, playing finals footy in Melbourne, and might be that. You know that X factor that they need. Um, whether they chase another older guy um, in, in, in terms of your gun sense to help you with that sort of maybe you know a bit more finalist experience, especially Melbourne footy. Um, that Josh might be. Josh a premiership player. Who though? Yeah, add. so that's that'll be perfect for him. Mm-hmm. So if they add him as well as Gunderson, mate, um, then you know that squad they've got is definitely going to look a lot more dangerous. But then again finals come finals time it's you never know who's going to win like we like on the weekend we
2: both sort of backed sydney oh, and did, yeah. they didn't turn up so <laughs> you never know you do never know tom berry from the lions wants to get to the suns and fill that small forward position that's left by isaac rankin rankin has reportedly and this is not new news but signed that four year sorry five year four million dollar deal that is huge, huge money for a player like Isaac Rankin, and I love Rankin as a footballer. I think he's a tremendous talent, but is he worth that type of contract? Yeah, it's a,
3: it's a hard one to, you know, put a figure on really. Um, but that's big money for a, a, you know, an X-factor silky small forward. Um, you know, if he was a genuine midfielder, winning you know your thirty-five touches and kicking your two goals, then you definitely pay him that money. But you know, he's more of that X factor. He gets his 13 or 14 touches and might kick you two, two goals. And, you know, um, that's a lot of money for that type of player. Um, so whether they've got, um, you know, going forward, they want to push him into the midfield and turn him into that running, hard-running mid to get him out on the outside, sort of like that um, Isaac Smith-type yeah. player. But I think his ability and his skill-wise, like that X factor that we speak about is... Um, Probably not going to see him too much in the midfield because you like him finishing those snaps and yeah. freakish goals he does kick.
2: I was thinking, surely at nine hundred thousand dollars a year, he would at minimum have to reach a standard of say like a Shea Bolton from Richmond. That would he would have to get to at least that standard. Definitely,
3: definitely, and, and and spending some time in the midfield, um, you know, and pushing forward, um, you definitely have to be doing that type of footy, and you know that's. If Adelaide have got that in plan for him, hope it hope it works out for the kid and um, he goes well.
2: The Suns are losing a couple, and they are trying to offload Jack Bowes as well. That's a really interesting one that we'll talk about in the context of the Geelong Football Club, who look like one of the front runners now, but they are trying to release some cap space, and they're trying to offload Jack Bowes, who's a talented player in his own right, but he's got a big back-ended contract, and they're trying to send him with pick seven to another club as, as an incentive and they are also set to lose Braden Fiorini to Collingwood, and Jeremy Sharp looks to seek a trade back to his home state in Western Australia. Bobby Hill to Collingwood. The Magpies will add Fiorini, as I said, and McStay, but Bobby Hill is the one that I want to talk about. Coming from the Giants, he had that cancer scare during the year, which was extremely concerning. It's great to see that he looks looks in the clear. Do you see potential in Bobby Hill as a footballer? Yeah, definitely, mate, and um, yeah... It's great to
3: see him back to full health and, um, you know, he's got through over that cancer scare and, you know, hat, hat goes off to the young fella that he's backing up and up and running. And, you know, it's hopefully now he he can put some time into his footy and concentrate. And, um, yeah, you've definitely seen in a few games that he played that he's got the talent to be in, in any, any team. Um, so if the, you know, the pie's put the work into him and he, he's ready to go, it'll
2: be awesome addition to that forward line. Just off topic for a little bit, Raf, but I watched Bobby Hill's debut game at the MCG and he was literally like 63 kilos or 64 kilos. And I was thinking, wow, he's so far off the AFL physically. He had all the skills, all the speed, all the talent. But what were you weighing when you entered the system? And were you one of those players where the strength and conditioning guys were like, you know what, just stuff yourself with milkshakes and hamburgers, get as fit as possible? What, what did your first couple of seasons in the system look like?
3: Yeah, it was a funny one back when I joined, um, just speaking like we're talking in the old, old days, but uh, back
2: in the old days. it is
3: uh, a good 15, 16 years ago now. But um, yeah, I, I was, you know, ringing wet, probably 75 to 76 kilos. Um, and for a, a medium-sized tall, um, you know, definitely wasn't the, the, the weight they wanted me at. So, you know, I'm lucky, you know, lucky I only played the one game the first year because I would have been, you know, bashed from pillar to post. Um, and then the second preseason, um, Jason Cripps um, was our was a runner and an extra coach we had, and he grabbed me one of the other yeah. rookies, and we were doing extra two weight sessions a day. And back then the old creatine diet and yeah. um, just protein powders nonstop. And I think um, that second preseason, when I went home for Christmas, I was about 86 or 87 kilos, and when I got off the plane and Mum and Dad couldn't believe their eyes. Like I had these big back on me and these wings and, you know, all this neck and that. And But I still had those little skinny ankles that I've got today. So um, it was, you know, I had to get bigger and stronger. But at the time, I think we did it the wrong way because after all that, that's when the hemis and all that yeah. started to go because the the big frame up top and the little skinny legs couldn't carry it. So. Um, if I had my time again, I'd love to be playing in this day and age where you can get away at playing at that you know really light frame like you, you know, Benny Long types and that. So you you put on about five or six kilos just to get strong enough to be able to take on that contact and um, you know, and your body is still pretty natural to what you're used to. So
2: I was going to ask that you have a player like Bobby Hill whose natural strengths are his speed and his agility and his evasiveness, did you find putting on all that weight have an effect, either positively or negatively, on your athleticism?
3: Yeah, I think it took away the, the running ability I had. Um, I think that was one of my strengths is, you know, the, the versatility and um, being able to play and be able to go for those long runs and get back and help and then push forward. Um, so, you know, once you had to carry that extra weight around, you definitely, the legs got tired a lot quicker. Um, and, it, and like I said, that sort of bring along a lot of those hamstring injuries. So, yeah, if I had my time again, um, <laughs> I would have stayed about 80 kilos. I reckon i 82 kilos.
2: Yeah, they probably should have. They wouldn't have got you pairing up with Fraser Garrick in the gym yeah. right too often, <laughs> would they? <laughs>
3: yeah, I would have, I would have went I would have nowhere near him if I was still that 80 kilos.
2: <laughs> what was he benching just roughly? Did you know? I, was oh, I think it was 100, 170. Yeah, like
3: 160. 160 to 170, that so there's a couple of the bars that were um, had the bend in them from Fraser Garrick. So, yeah, you'd, you'd know which one's not to use.
2: <laughs> Toby Bedford from Melbourne is being chased by a couple of clubs. He met with the Greater Western Sydney Giants during the week. I suppose with Alex Neil Bullen, Charlie Spargo and Cosy Pickett at the club, there's plenty of competition for small forwards. Daniel Rioli was runner-up in the Jack Dyer medal, which is Richmond's best and fairest. Is that a deserved result? Yeah, mate, it's, uh, it's an amazing achievement by young Daniel. Um,
3: you know his career went to uh, well, as soon as they push him to the ha- half back line. You know he had a bit of a form slump. You know they were like, where's he, where's he fit in? And you know for him to take it and run with it that half back role, uh, it's incredible. And you know just just growing and leaps some bounds. And I I can't wait to see him come off that half back line next year because I think they're going to have to send a small forward to him that's going to have to s- slow his impact down because no one expected him. To do that and now clubs have seen what he can do off a half back line he's probably going to get a tagged off a half yeah, yeah. back so you know big credit to um, Daniel and also to um, Tom Lynch for winning the best of Ferris, you know the, the, the effort he's put in and, and to see his footy just keep growing and growing it's, it's unbelievable
2: I think it's justification for a player like Daniel Rioli too I mean we're all human and he would have been feeling the pinch a little bit last season with his form and, and where his long-term future at the club lies To go and change positions and come runner-up in your clubs, Best and Fairest, make the All-Australian squad, it's just just great to see another Territorian thriving. One thing I will say about the Richmond Best and Fairest count, you're right, Tom Lynch did win it, followed by Rioli, followed by Prestia, and then a tie for fourth place in Liam Baker and Shea Bolton. Was Bolton a bit unlucky there? Were they giving the Best and Fairest cards to a few people who he offended? Yeah, well,
3: it's it's quite funny because uh, I I actually... After about three or four games, I seen Shea Bolton play in a row. I quickly jumped on Sportsbet and got him at good odds to, to win the Brownlow, and I was like, if he keeps this up, you know, he, he's going to definitely be a chance to win the Brownlow. So, yeah, you know, he he definitely was in a top two or three. um So, you know, not taking anything away from Lynch and, and Rioli, they had fantastic seasons, but Shea Bolton was their X factor. and you know, he's the one who turned games um,
2: when they needed it to be turned and got them over the line, I, I thought. so. We do need to go to a break, Raf. but the last one from me. Josh Dunkley won Western Bulldogs as best and fairest. Now, he looks 99.9% likely to leave the club. Is it awkward to win a best and fairest in that capacity? I know locally uh, there has been a couple of players who have won the best and fairest and gone to a different club, and I know locally that always creates a lot of talk at the AFL level where it's a bit more professional how does something like that transpire and what would your reaction have been from the Bulldogs group
3: yeah it, it'll be a hard one to swallow mate for you, for your teammates mm-hmm. and especially for the you know the the older players and that's your leadership a tough speech group for him yeah, have, yeah definitely and you know to lose your best player for the year it's um it's gonna hurt any club and be awkward anywhere i think doesn't mm-hmm. matter what the sport is um so that's a, that's a big call by Josh and you know congratulations to him winning the best and fairest but You know, he's he's the one who's got to face the teammates and let them know. And so hope it all goes smoothly. I think the way the AFL is, like we spoke about before, it's become more of a business as well. So um, probably you don't expect your best player to walk out and leave, but, um, you know, this is part of the business now.
2: Josh Dunkley, a very good player. A player who has also spent some time in the NTFL hanging around the St Mary's Footy Club. Plenty more to come. This is SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Raph, the Bombers, one of the biggest clubs in the land, have announced a four-year deal for Brad Scott to take over as the head coach. Is Brad Scott the man for the job? Yeah, it's an interesting
3: way. It looked like the Bombers were going to go back to an inside person, Um, you know, but it's great that they are scoring outside again um, and bring someone in from... Another club, another experience, you know, uh, Brad Scott, you know, we've seen his time uh, when he coached elsewhere, but I reckon it'll be a good one, um, you know, and I, I just wish they'd done it probably two or three weeks earlier before the trade period started, because um, then you would have had, he probably could have attracted some more players interested in yeah. being, you know, coming to the Bombers, knowing who their coach was going to be, so you know it's probably they probably left it a week or two late um where you know they could have maybe got a and they could have got these josh dunkley type of guys interested um so it's a good deal uh and i am you know a lot of bomber supporters out there family friends of, and all my cousins so they will be pretty happy to see that they've got a good coach and um you know probably Hale, our next guest coming in as well he he's a big bomber supporter so he'll have plenty to say about that
2: raf what do you look for in a good coach i mean there's varying differences you have the craig McRae type who looks like the real new age uh, get around the boys and and get to know the playing group really well on an individual level type and then you have those others who are a little bit more standoffish a little bit more of the fire and brimstone coach in your opinion and the way you played your football what do you look for in a good coach
3: uh it's yeah it's i think it's um to day and age that 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 relationship is a big thing, um like those Craig McCrae types and um in my footy now I'd probably prefer that. Um where back when we played, you know, it was like you know, your coach only spoke to you when he had something to say to you or needed to give you advice or actually grill you mm. about something you'd done wrong. So um and then off the field that's when you'd have that, you know, closer
2: relationship and be more of a mate. But um I'd imagine you would have dreaded back then if someone tapped you on the shoulder and said, Hey Ralph yeah, come wants for a to chat. See, yeah. to see in the <laughs>
3: so, um, yeah, I think uh you, you need a bit of a mix. Um and, you know, even like you look at um Richmond's coach, you know, when he talks about he how he's had to change and, you know, he was at hard, you know, grilling players and, you know, was away from that relationship type building, um and being their mates on and off the field and you know, once he's when you listen to his old interviews, um I remember listening to it a couple of years ago and once he changed his attitude and the way he approaches things, um, you know, that's the Richmond go along and win three three flags. So, you know, I think you need a bit of both, um, you know, someone who can build a relationship with your players and, and get to know them really quickly and, and and to be happy for them when they are doing well. And, you know, when they're down and out, you're always by their side as well. And that's what my coaches do anyway. But, you know, to express your, you know, um, in, in front of everyone is probably a good thing as well.
2: Yeah, I agree. Hey, one player who, one coach rather. You mentioned Dimmer, who changed his approach and philosophies quite rapidly. Another one was Chris Scott this year, and he did so with tremendous success. Brad Scott is the twin of Chris Scott. Would there be much information sharing? Is that something you're allowed to do at that level? Surely, surely, blood thicker than water, and then you can you can get away with that.
3: Yeah, I think I think they would be, mate. Um, yeah, you'd hope that they would. Um, they were bloody very close and very similar on the footy field mm. um so you think you know they'd be still they'd very close spots and, in the
2: coaching box and you wouldn't tell the difference
3: yeah that's it <laughs> so um <laughs> yeah I, i'd like to think you know he'd, he'd be asking his brother for a couple of tips and you know how to you know build a quicker relationship with these players and you know you're definitely always going to help your family family always comes first in my eyes and my view and um you know even the funny thing is, when you ask about that, I've, I've hit Xavier up a couple of times about some game plans and some things that, or some drills, and, you know, there's no if-buts but if buts about it. He, he'll send me, a, you know, a drill or whatever that Richmond might have been doing and said, here, use this. This is a good one to get the boys moving and running. And, you know, that's, that's a good thing about having a brother or someone involved in, in, in those levels.
2: Raph, our man, the NTFL guru, Robbie Hale, has just entered the Ran and Horn studio, and he's a person whose opinion I'd love to get but Adam Uze and James Heard, were they just simply too controversial for the Essendon Football Club? It was, a very, it was a decision where not so much Uze, so that's a bit of a random one to lump him in there, but with the Hawthorne racism allegation and stuff like that, Uze had a big role at the Hawks at the time. Certainly not implicating him in anything involved here, but it is, uh, it is something to think about. Yep. And James Heard, obviously, that, that needs no explanation about why that would be controversial. Was Brad Scott simply the easier decision?
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, being a past coach as well, and he, he did have a bit of success, even though, you know, it wasn't finals or anything like that. I think he still, you know, p- p- produced some good footy when he was coaching. Um, yeah, the other two were just, yeah, I wouldn't have even looked at the other two. And, you know, a lot of su- my family and friends that were Bomber supporters, they were all ready to jump off ship after the, if James heard Lena back at the club. So you know, that was, a, that was a big no-no in my eyes and a lot of people's eyes that actually barrack for Bombers.
2: Last one from me, Raf, because we do need to third of the news. Where is the Bombers' list at? Are they anywhere near premiership contention? Will they be aiming for the finals next year or is it simply rebuild time?
3: I think they showed a lot of promise um, and they've got a good enough list to, to go forward and, and with a better coach hopefully in, in place, um, they can play finals next year.
2: Very nice, Raph. Plenty more to come on SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16, 11 a.m. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. Finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16, 11 a.m. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. We will love your listing. We are joined by a special guest, a man who knows everything there is to know about, not just territory football, but football in general, local, AFL, you name it. Mr. Tavis Perry, thanks very much for joining us
6: great man what's happening
2: not a lot mate it's exciting times the afl season has just finished and i will talk to you a little bit about that and and your beloved melbourne demons and where they're at but the ntfl season starts tonight with waratah and st mary's going head to head at gardens oval but your expertise is within the palmerston football club you spent a lot of time there you used to coach the club how do you think the magpies will go this season
6: Oh, well, I think um, Josh Heath and the crew have done a fantastic job, uh, and they've put a really good squad together. I think it's going to be another pretty competitive season in the NCFL By the looks, a lot of clubs have been pretty um, active in doing a lot of recruiting, and I think they'll definitely be more competitive where they where they end up very hard to say. You could possibly make a case to see them finishing in the in the top, top three to five, um, um, but it's a little bit unknown depending on how the other teams shape up as well.
2: Of course, after a lot of time down the bottom of the ladder, is there an expectation to make the finals? Can you hear me, mate? I can hear you, Tavis. Can you hear me right now? A few little technical difficulties, Mr. Tavis. Can you hear me?
6: Might have, we lost. Might have, have lost. lost. Yeah, I can.
2: We'll try for <laughs> Tavis Perry a little bit later on, but it is interesting to hear what he has to say about the Palmerston football. Yes,
6: it's uh, it's very very quiet though, Jacko.
2: Sorry, mate. Oh, <laughs> Keep talking, buddy.
3: I all think, right, we I think we've lost on. Tavis there, but um, I think, um, you know, going on the Magpies, um, I'd, it'd be interesting to see where they do end up, um, in my view, um, but then again, that's the beauty about the NTFL and the footy, um, you know, one minute you could be last, and the next thing, you know, if you, you get a couple of good recruits, and I think the main thing is you put the work in in the pre-season, um, and you get good numbers turning up, all of a sudden you're a top three team, um, So that's that's what I love about the NTFL Um, a lot of a lot of teams could write you off straight away um, just because of the year you had previously and I think Anthony Vallejo who's going to join us later. He's he's a pure example like we came last St. Mary's um, And then the next year you put the work in you get a couple of good players um, back on the list
2: And we're playing a grand final. So that's the best thing about the NTFL and the footy. I reckon Graf, being a person on the Inner Sanctum at St. Mary's, there would be so many people that would just love to pick your brain as to why the club is so successful. I know that you touched on a few things before, but if we look at Palmerston and Tiwi and I suppose even Buffaloes and District's and and these teams, they all have much of the sameness year after year. Buffaloes over the last six years have been around that fourth, fifth, sixth position. Tiwi made a prelim a couple of years ago but have otherwise struggled uh, over the last five years or so. Palmerston haven't made the finals for quite a while how do you get a team how do you transform a team on the bottom of the ladder or in the bottom half of the ladder to become like a Nycliffe or a St Mary's one of the powerhouses
3: yeah I think that's the beauty of it too mate is um you know knowing what your 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 club's about and you know not not one to be you know like when when players come to St Mary's and, and when we always talk train and we we talk finals we always talk finals and you know you drive that from the very start and you know we're not here to come second we're not here to come you know anywhere else but you know we we train to win premierships and once that's your mindset and you, when you're you know playing at every training session and you and you you know the, the coaches is always constant reminder you know you, so you're putting in your max effort at training you you're not you're not there to have fun and you know you, you do like to have fun in between drills and have a joke but when you're in between your, your, your sessions and that, you're, you're putting everything into it. You're not there to do 50%. You're not there to, you know, muck around and, and have snaps over your
2: shoulder just for a laugh or anything like that. So that's, that's my um, view on it, mate. We will go to a break pretty soon, Raph. But one thing that I like at football clubs, or rather one thing I dislike at football clubs are those who are too conservative, those who when you ask them, hey, do you think finals are within reach this year? And they say something like, oh, well, look, we're just going to follow the process or the numbers yeah. have been good so far, but we don't want to think too far yeah, ahead. Yeah, exactly. I absolutely love it when the coach comes out and declares, no, we have to make the yeah. finals this year or we're aiming for a premiership. Yep. We think we can do it. And the St. Mary's Football Club, for mine, has always seemed like a club that has embodied that. I know that if you walk through the rooms at St. Mary's, I was fortunate enough to play 40 or 50 games here at the club when I was younger and... There was just that expectation of winning. If you yep. went there and thought, "Hey, we come third this year or we'll runner-up in a grand final, that's not too bad. Yep. We still finished in the top half of teams." You're just going to get laughed at. Yep. So yep. that <laughs> is really the culture at St Mary's, isn't
3: it? Yeah, that's it, mate. And um, that's you pretty hit hit nail on the head there. And yeah, we we always see ourselves as finishing in the top two. And if you're not talking premierships at St Mary's, then you know you you've got a lot to learn really quickly. And you know. Unfortunately, mate, you, you, you missed out on the grand final that year and you were playing some good footy, unfortunately, and, um, you know, would, would sort of would have loved to have you all the last few years, mate. But, um, yeah, you, you obviously seen the way we go about it and, no, it's you an know, being a St. Mary's junior, mate, you,
2: you deserve one of those premierships with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're too kind, Ralph. I don't know about that. But an amazing football club, the St. Mary's Football Club. Anyone who does not know about the history of that club, simply just do a Google search. It is one of the most proudest clubs in the country. This is SEN Fridays at the top end, 1611 a.m., thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. And 1611 a.m., thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. We will love your listing. Raph, some breaking news. Jordan Goey has signed a five-year deal at Collingwood. We spoke about it earlier in the program. The Pies would be happy with that. Jordan degoy I'm assuming, would be happy with that. He's had a good move.
3: Yeah, mate, they must have uh, removed some of those... Um restrictions courses. and um, you know freed him up a bit so you Might know out of the trip to Bali yeah that's it um, so it's good to see him staying mate because he's starting to build a really good um, core group around him and he's leading away on that midfield group um, so you know hopefully he, he can you know move forward and you know the Pies will be there next year mate seeing what they did this year in their first year with their new coach so good to
2: see him stay You need those game-breaking players to win premierships, too. Speaking of premierships, it is the Cats' year this year. 20 goals, 13, 113, absolutely thrashed the Swans. Eight goals, four, 52. As we said before, a bit of an anticlimactic game. Not if you're a Geelong supporter, though, and I knew a handful of Geelong supporters who had the time of their lives getting grand final tickets and and enjoying that weekend. But were the Cats too good, Raph, or were the Swans just really bad?
3: Yeah, I think the Swans were just really bad, mate. Um... It looked like they didn't get off the plane in from sydney uh, <laughs> uh yeah it's it's not what you like to see on grand final day and it doesn't matter how good your list is if you're not the best team on grand final day um you know it, it doesn't mean anything so Geelong did have a good team and they did turn up ready to play and um it just showed mate and that that experience that older older heads and older you know bit of bit of class bit of experience um just just tore the Swans apart and they just didn't look like they were there at all.
2: Yeah, I thought that it was, as you said, the Swans got swarmed at all times. They couldn't grasp any sort of ascendancy on the game and it just looked like Geelong completely controlled the game structurally. Even from the first two minutes, just their territory, the style they were playing, they looked a lot less fumbly. They just looked like the team that would win it. Buddy Franklin, a big story heading into the game. We pumped him up, Raph. We said it's, it's the big show. This is the show that's made for Buddy. He finished with five touches and zero goals. He certainly looked a little bit, a little bit old, didn't he? I'm yeah,
3: and, and that's the thing that a lot of people spoke about. Whether it's a bit selfish with him, announce, announcing he's resigned, you know, during the week, whether it took a bit of, you know, I don't know, limelight. Would you say away from the grand final it was all about him? Um, you know, so you know that that was an interesting hearing that from some of the experts. And um, when you look at it and you think, yeah, maybe he should have. Waited and told him after the grand final, um, you know, and and just let everyone focus on the grand final and the team. So yeah, it's um, yeah. It's, Maybe he would have missed out on a contract if he waited until
2: after the grand final. Yeah,
3: exactly. If he came out with these numbers, he probably would have got offered less money. But I, I guess um, every other club would wouldn't mind having Buddy in their forward line for
2: a couple of seasons.
3: Um, but yeah. Lucky he did, I guess, sign.
2: <laughs> Do you think Sydney faced some issues next year with how they all fit in? I know they have Logan McDonald, Hayden McLean, who was included into the grand final team, and they also have Joel Amati, who's a pretty good player at VFL level, a highly talented young key forward. With Buddy there, a 35-year-old, just clogging up that forward line, is that something... And you have Sam Reid as well, who we'll talk about soon. Are there too many small forwards st- structurally at the Swans? Yeah, it's an
3: interesting one, and... Um the thing is um, going against the Swans now is that every team before they play them will probably take note of what Geelong done in this grand final and use that for a pre-game sort of, you know, look how they how they beat them, look what they closed down, um, you know, and for it to happen in such a big way, um, you know, it gives a lot of clubs a lot of confidence when they face the Swans now to go, this is the way you shut them down, this is the way you, you know, stop Buddy, this is how you can, you know, close up that that, that forward line. So... Uh, and it'll be interesting next year to see how the Swans return and bounce
2: back from this big loss. Exactly right. I thought Chad Warner was probably the best player for the Swans. Just quietly, that was my Norm Smith tip, but he was nowhere near it because the Swans were nowhere near it. But he had the 29 disposals and two goals. A very good breakout season for Chad Warner. What were the other positives for the Swans, if not from the grand final from 2022, and where do you think they go from here? Because I think- what I will say, Raph, just before you answer that, <laughs> there are mental demons when you get smashed in a premiership. If you look at the Crows after 2017 and you yeah. look at the Giants after 2019 and the Western Bulldogs after last year, it's not simply a matter of, oh, we were the second best team, we're just going <laughs> to reload again. So what, what what happens for the Swans next year? What do they need to do?
3: Yeah, it's almost like you, you need to have a, not a big full list overview, but, um, you know, you got to, I don't know, you've got to really make sure the boys you know can really clear their minds and let that let that go um as much as it's going to be playing on your mind for for a long long time and you know you know i still have demons about losing the own iron grand final and um to the cats and that's why i didn't back him on the weekend because i didn't want to see him with another flag um but yeah it's it's something you've got to be able to you know and, and that's the, the the quicker you can put the losses behind you no matter how big and. You know, the, the, especially on a grand final day it, you talk like it's easy but you know they've got all the people there to help them and to put your best foot forward and get moving um and, and try and redirect you know and, and go in with a, a positive frame of mind um the following season is probably my my opinion but you know um yeah that's just me
2: mate the selection table was very interesting last weekend you have to feel for max holmes who apparently passed a fitness test essentially and was very very close to being ruled fit and then Chris Scott said they just didn't want to take that risk yep. of a player who had a sore hamstring especially a runner into the grand final uh so Max Holmes I suppose would be feeling pretty dirty pretty disappointed but they made the right decision he didn't play Sam Reed however the Swans took the gamble on Sam Reed and it was a fail he yeah. did not last the game he looked sore from literally as soon as they bounced the ball who takes the blame for something like that is it the player or the medical staff
3: yeah it's that's a very very interesting question um it's a, it's a hard one i guess um if a player is putting his hand up and saying he's ready to go and you know you you don't perform then it's all purely on the player but if he's if there's any doubt in the player's mind you know then they don't, don't pick him so in my mind i guess sam Reed would have been putting his hand up you know whether it was a bit selfish, um, you know, for knowing he probably couldn't get through it, because um, at the end of the day, he's the only one who knew if he could or couldn't. Um, you know, the medical staff can see, you know, some injuries or might might say you're not right, but um, but yeah, I, I, I blame Sam Reed for that one. You know, putting his hand up saying he's ready to go. Um, and just quickly, uh, I, I forgot to mention it a bit earlier, but I didn't give a shout out to the couple of listeners. Um, got all our producers' mum, Lucinda, down in Melbourne, listening in. Um, right. Young Jack Gal, up here in Darwin, <laughs> listening in every, every show. Um, Big Sam Crackers Keenan down in Melbourne as well as um, tuned in, and also my assistant coach Alan May's tuned in. So good to have a couple of uh, loyal listeners um, in, 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 in on the show. So thanks, we guys. Love we
2: love that, Raf. Thanks for that. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16, 11 a.m. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. Finding a place to write your next chapter. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. We will love your listing. We're talking about last weekend's grand final, Schmozzle, which saw the Cats thrash the Swans by 81 points. Stengel with four goals, Hawkins with three goals, Jeremy Cameron finished off his great season with a couple as well. Raph, the Cats' forward line was probably their biggest strength this year, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, definitely, mate. And... To add someone like Tyson Stingle, which, um, you know, we've all seen his story, um, you know, delisted free agent, um, for him to come out and to the year he's had, All-Australian, and then to finish with four goals on the biggest stage.
2: Nearly one of all yeah. Um,
3: yeah, exactly, mate. You know, it's, it's been an incredible year for the young pilot. And then the likes of Jeremy Cameron um, just cruising around doing what he does. And, you know, then you've got the big hawk and standing in your goal
2: square who just beat everyone on, on his day. Um, Awesome forward line, mate. Yeah, I don't think Jeremy Cameron would be too far off the best player in the entire competition. Tyson Stengel, like you said, the story of the year, things didn't work out at Richmond and then was delisted by the Crows before the start of the season last year. He knuckled down straight away, got straight back into it and had a great season in the Sandford with Woodville West Torrens where he played in the flag. Has Xavier Clark, your brother, given you any insights into Tyson Stengel during his time at the Tigers, what he was like, perhaps why things didn't work out?
3: Nah, mate. i uh, uh, you know, I'd never really asked him as well. Like Xavier doesn't just openly talk about things and unless I, I go and ask him and um, he, he keeps his cards pretty close to his so chest. So you didn't have the um, intel on
2: Dusty Martin or anything?
3: Nah, mate. Uh, he, he won't tell me anything like that. Um, so, yeah, he's happy to help me out with a few uh, training drills, but yeah, in terms of um, players and stuff like that, yeah, I, I think he could be under a bit of a scrutiny if he lets the stuff out and I went and blurred my mouth and told everyone All rang up the NT News and said, I've got a story for you. But he knows I wouldn't do that. Um, but he just doesn't trust anyone, I think.
2: <laughs> I think it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations because there's no doubt that Stengel must have been pressed during the game-based drills and, and with his skill set. Where does this Cats Premiership team compare with the other three? I think personally that the Cats team of 2007 to 2009 was the best team that I've ever seen. I think if we're looking for an advantage of the 2022 Cats, we could talk about potentially the way they were coached and structurally set up, and this is nothing against Mark Thompson, but I'm just trying to find any advantage here. How do you compare these two eras, so the 2007 and 09 to the current one?
3: Yeah, I think the the 09 and the, the, the you know, those 709. I think the best thing about it was they built those players, they mm. built that squad up from the ground up, and, you know, that's what you like to see. Um... You know, and that, and that to Mark Thompson's credit and Geelong's credit back then. You know, and then they add in those mature age guys like Matty Stokes. Um, you know, and those teams. You know, they pretty much were built from the ground up. Like I said, where this this team. You know, you got you know these older blokes coming on from other clubs. Dangerfield and his prime. You got Jeremy Cameron comes across. Um, you you get a young Toss a single. Um, you know, straighten him out and you know look what he's done. Um, you know, you've Gary Rowan. So you've added a lot of experience to a, a list that was already, you know, thereabouts. Um, so I, I think I, I like the the teams from 07 and 09 a bit better just because they were built from the inside um, instead of just topping up with
2: great players and, and then getting you over the line, which I think that's what this team did. Geelong's ability to stay at the top, despite not having a pick lower than number seven since they took Joel Selwood in 2006, is absolutely crazy. How well they've been able to recruit from other clubs and find gems in the draft like Tom Stewart as a mature ager. They could strengthen this year as well, chasing Tanner Bruin, Ollie Henry and Jack Bowes as we mentioned before. Just a quick one before we go to the news, Jeremy Cameron and Cam Guthrie tied for Geelong's Best and Ferris last night and Quinton Narkel was delisted during the week. Very, very quickly, Raph, were you surprised by that?
3: Yeah, definitely. I I, I thought he had a, a lot of time left with um, in him with Geelong and they were going to build him up to be another great running midfield like you had, Brendan Parfitt. So, yeah, unfortunately um, hard to see that
2: Brandon Horn finding a place to write your next chapter.
4: Live on SEN Top End, 1611am, welcome to Fridays in the Top End. With Jackson Clark and Raf Clark for Rain and Horn Darwin. Finding a place
2: to write your next chapter. Fans, 16.11am, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. We have again, backed by popular demand, the NTFL guru, Robbie Hale. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Good to be in here with the Clark brothers. Hey, we were speaking <laughs> about the grand final last weekend. I asked Raph about what his plan was, and he
1: said he was on the tongs
2: all day, cooking up a feed. What was your routine on grand final day?
1: I actually headed out to Bachelor with my brother-in-law, so he planned us a little trip out there. I didn't realise it was grand final weekend, so obviously I was back in the Swans. or I wanted the Swans to win, but it was good to see Cats get over the line after their success of having the last 10 years without winning a flag. Rob, you said obviously, but why obviously? Are you not a Cats man, or did you just back the underdog? What's, what's the theory behind the obviously? Obviously. Uh, I had money on swans, so
0: (laughs) I I got him at $12, (laughs) so
1: I had a a bit of financial gain out of it. Um, And I like the way those young kids play, but, you know, Cats were way too good. Raph,
2: Paddy Dangerfield had an excellent game on the weekend. Some would say that he probably should have been the North Smith medalist when you compare the amount of contested football that he won for the Cats. Where does he sit? among the greatest midfielders that you have ever seen. Now, I don't want to put the pressure on you straight away, so I will go first. My top three, the holy pinnacle for me is Gary Ablett Jr., Chris Judd, and I couldn't go past Dusty Martin. A bit of biasness, but three. Norm Smith does that. Where does Danger... And then Dangerfield sits behind those three. That's how high I rate him. I rate him above Selwood, I rate him above Pendlebury. I think Dangerfield, perhaps he might not have the leadership qualities of some of those other players named, but at his absolute best, he is like a bulldozer ferrari cross between those two he is an absolute animal where do you rate danger yeah mate
3: he's definitely up there um yeah i in this last 10 years he's probably in your top three midfielders that's for sure um i I go back a bit um you know winding the clock back again not showing my age but you know judd um judd um and robert harvey i get to play along my idol robert harvey um to me he was one of the the greatest um going around and you know, you forget about blokes like Kerr or Judd, um, but then I, I obviously got to play against Nate Fife as well, and, yeah. and he's young age, and to see how he come about, he's he's probably in my top three as well, Nate Fife because he can, he can control a game
2: like Dangerfield as well. Mate, I'd kick myself if I didn't ask you, Raph. Was Robert Harvey still an absolute training animal into his late 30s? Obviously, you saw the back end of his career. Was he still a machine?
3: Yeah, definitely, and um, I remember him getting in trouble a couple of times from the, the training staff because... You know he'd uh, try to put him on a restricted training regime and you know but then you know they'd catch him running down the nepean highway on, on the sunday doing an extra 15 kilometers or whatever and they are like mate what are you doing you know we've, we've got a running session tomorrow and you know he'd come in and still smash out the running session so robert harvey you know he was probably the first of the, you know changing that era into running machines those midfielders and You know, he always looked like he was tired when he put his hands on his hips and bent over and slouched and then all of a sudden the ball would be thrown up and next minute he's on the end of it and he'd just go all day halves and I I love him and I I got to catch up with him and the Hawks played up here during the year and, you know, every time I get to see see halves, it's uh,
2: unbelievable. Joel Selwood, another unbelievable footballer, has announced his retirement. He is one of the most decorated careers of any player currently playing the game. Four-time AFL Premiership player, one as captain, a six-time All-Australian, four-time Most Courageous player, and Geelong record for the most games played, AFL record for the most games played, most wins as captain.
1: Robbie, what will your memories be of Joel Selwood? Just a bloke that gave his all. Um, Put his head over at every contest, I thought, Um, so I really like the way Selwood led from the front there was a lot of talk about him shrugging and doing those free kicks but a lot of the times his first to the footy and head over it, and would come off with a cut you know one in every three games pretty much.
2: Very very good player. Raph did you ever get to play against Joel Selwood and what were your memories of competing against the guy? Yeah I I didn't play on him
3: uh, directly because he's a midfielder I was coming off half back but I do remember him almost breaking my leg in the 0-9 Granny? Um, I think I limped off, and he turned around and kicked the goal. Um, so, yeah, that was an, um, a very nice memory to remember, Joel Salwood by. But yeah, he's absolute. You know, you look at the stats you just read out, mate, and he's going to go down as one of the greats uh, of all time. Um, you know, just his finals records alone. Um, you know, some players don't even get to play in 40 games in their career and he's he's played 40 finals. <laughs> so that's an amazing effort.
2: Robbie, where do you see him rank among the all-time leaders? I have caused a bit of a stir on social media over the last couple of years by even mentioning the great man Trent Cotchin in the same vein as Joel Selwood. But... I will remove my bias from this conversation now. Obviously, James Heard from, from your supported team, Essendon, is really good. Uh, Raph, you would have played under Nick Revolt. Where does Selwood rank among some of the all-time leaders? Among your
1: Hodges, Pendlebury, Voss, Heard, some of those types. Robbie? I think he's right up there with those guys. I think, obviously, only uh, premiership captain of one, uh, one year might hold him back compared to a few of those guys. But to captain the side and keep him up for so long also should have a lot of credit because they are hard to win flags
3: yeah definitely and um you know he's and he's led from the front it's not like he was you know taking a second seat and coming off the bench at all and you know um you know not getting these touches and not getting his contested positions right up to the very end like you know a lot of people probably see it as a shock that he's renounced his retirement because you know after the performance on the weekend you could say he could go around for another two or three years so you know i I'd probably like to see him keep going, but you know, it, it's a great time to bear out. When you're on top, you know you've done everything, you ticked every box, and you know it,
2: it's a, it's a special way to go out. I reckon. Raph, were you captain by Nick Revolt throughout your career?
3: Yeah, mate. We had a few um, early on. Um, you know, Grant Thomas had a, a a thing in place where we were changing every year, so we had a Luke Ball, um Luke Ball, Lenny Hayes, um, and then Nick what was the longest when uh, Rossi Line came in and changed that um, sort of captain-style setup. And yeah, Nick Nick led by his actions more than anything. Um, you know, he he was he was the hardest worker on the track as well. Um, you know, he he just ran like you can never believe. It. And that's where I had to I had to play on him a lot of times. And and that's what well, he probably tore the hamstrings up a bit <laughs> too much. I think so. Trying to chase him around on, on the training track. Um, yeah, unfortunately, but it, it, it taught me a lot about how to, how to work.
2: Robbie, did Joel Selwood make the right decision? Obviously, if you look at the Cats' midfield or if you look at any weakness for Geelong, they could potentially say, well, they don't have that many young players coming through. Although you have your Max Holmes types who could potentially move into the midfield. He plays a lot on the wing and, and across the flanks. Brandon Parfitt and a couple of others there coming through mm. do you think it was the right move for Selwood to step aside or would you have thought hey a bloke like that for his 10 games and a and an managed uh, load could be beneficial for our team?
1: No, I think it was the right decision for him to step away um, looking at the list demographic with the age just him stepping away just opens up that space just to bring in another kid, Parfitt plays, you know, Parfitt starts next year um, so I think it was the right decision they've got all those blokes over 30 and you don't want three or four of them retiring at the same time either so having him retire, probably Tommy Hawkins next year and slowly wean him off, bring the kids through Yeah, there are plenty of
2: tributes throughout the week for Joel Seward. here is what his teammate Paddy Dangerfield had to say about the
6: great man um, But I'm also a strong believer if you're going to coach, you've got to experience a different environment, mm. but I don't want him to go so I hope he doesn't coach I hope it's sort of, you know, administration in some capacity or it's you know, it might be a different sport for a little bit and get a bit of an understanding around other sports, but I know we'd certainly love to keep him uh, as a footy club. But, you know, what he's done for, for me personally and the guidance he's given me, and then you you you, know, you brush a broad stroke over that for our organisation, uh, it's nothing short of remarkable. i probably like you. I hated playing against him. I wanted to rip his head off. <laughs> and then... You actually spend time with him and you think, this guy can't be real. This level of humility, humbleness, um, selflessness, it's like uh, he makes everyone else look terrible because of just how selfless he is. So, um, you know, what a ride, what a journey, and for him to finish the way that he did, it's, you know, befitting the person that he is.
2: And, of course he would have come up with many combatants in his career. Perhaps the best one was Luke Hodge, that Hodge versus Selwood battle that we saw so much throughout the 2010s. This is what Luke Hodge had to say on Joel Selwood.
5: Uh, what he's meant to, to the game, I think, mean, and what, what he means to, to this long football club, you can sort of see it out there. It doesn't matter who you're you bagged for. Um, on, on Saturday, when you saw him holding up the Premiership Cup, and I... I, uh, I did a video, I was out in the ground, did a video, because I want to see the reaction when he got called up, and I actually couldn't hear the announcer through the video because <laughs> the crowd was that loud. Um, that was Sydney people cheering as well, which is tough to do after he just lost a grand final. But I think what what he stands for, um, you look at Joel, prior to a game, the biggest game um, of his career as captain, trying to be a premiership captain, and what he did for Levi Ablett just before, ran through the banner with him, and then post-game when he grabbed Sammy, Um Brings him over the fence to, to bring in the excitement with, uh, with, with his team. I think that, that sums the bloke up, that either side of crossing that white line, uh, he's, such a, he's such a nice guy, but then can turn into such, a, such an animal, such a competitive beast. Who you, the bloke's like that are who you love playing against, because you know that you're not going to get an easy kick, and he's, gonna, he's not going to back down. So the way he finished off, uh, I saw his family uh, after the game, and you could sort of see the reaction of his partner and his mum. When he kicked that goal, the cheery emotions, you could sort of see that something was on the card. So no better way for, for a ripper like him to, to go out.
2: I can't imagine what it would be like, Raph, spending over half your life at a football club. You've played such a huge role in changing the culture. And you would just miss it so much. Can you tell us really quickly, obviously a different situation to Selwood, but when you were finishing up in the AFL, how did that all end up? Did you miss it? Did you wake up when everyone was talking about the, the following season ahead and think, oh, I'm not going to be a part of this and feel really disappointed, or was it more of a relief?
3: Yeah, it's a funny one. I'm, I'm no, I don't, um, i can't compare to finish, <laughs> no. Selwood's finishing and mine finishing. I was showing the door. Um, so when it happened to me, mate, I, I actually hated AFL footy. Um, it took me a while to actually get back and watch it. Um, and if I, I reckon if I didn't come back and play for St. Mary's straight away um, with Xavier, um, it would have taken me a long time to enjoy football again. Mate, what um, was it? Uh, it, it yeah, um, and I think the way it all happened, um, you know, the, 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 the annoying thing about it, and I, a lot of people probably wouldn't believe this, but the the, sister, the, the main coach at the time, um, you know, that's the thing, I can't remember his name, he was there for one year with me. Um, what was his name? Do you I remember? was. Yeah, what? Um, he actually sent me a text message, mate, so for someone to give nine years of everything you got... Um, to be delisted by a text message yeah. um, you know that's probably the, the icing on the cake which made me hate St Kilda for so long um, and I'm finally just starting to get my passion back for St Kilda um, through a couple of guys and you know, i seeing Benny Long there and, and, and the likes of Hill and Paddy Wright over the last few years but um, Tony Brown um, the player welfare officer down there at the moment he's he's been texting me and kept me in touch and contact a lot with me over the last few years and he actually sent me up a couple of footies for my Div 2 side this year, so shout out to Brownie for that. Um, so, yeah, it, I, my career ended very, very differently, obviously. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I, I didn't watch a lot of AFL footy for a good three to four years, and it's only just starting to watch it again and really enjoy the game again now.
2: Yep. There are a few tears during the week from Geelong people, including Selwood himself, who said that he'll miss playing with the boys. It's the people you play with. It's the front row. It's
5: the people you play with. I mean, and that's not a stat, but... Well, Hawks is a stat. We played over 300 games together, which is ridiculous. But it's... it's, um, Yeah. I can't put it into a, a number thing for you, but I just love playing with boys.
4: The NTFL
2: begins tonight. Crazy how one season ends, the other one starts up just like that. Waratah take on St. Mary's. They've copied a little bit what the AFL does with the old grand final replay as the season opener. Robbie, this is two clubs who you have had plenty to do with as a premiership player at St. Mary's and a former assistant coach at Waratah. How do you think this game is going to go and how important is it for Waratah
1: to get off to a good start? I think looking at the teams that have been posted, it's a good opportunity for Waratahs to really start the season and get that ledger back against st mary's albeit only round one and not a grand final i think both sides have about nine or ten players each in from the grand final side so they will be a bit weaker um and i think it'll be whoever out of those best nine or ten players performs at the highest level will get their side over the line i think that'll be the way it's sort of carried i reckon
2: Bob, Ed Morris has joined the club as a playing assistant coach. He won the Mitch Lee Medal for the best player in the Division One competition last year while playing for Banks. He's played some excellent football in Victoria as a small forward type. How do you prepare a side that has come off the disappointment of a grand final loss? So I spoke to Raph earlier about how you would prepare Sydney and all those different AFL teams that have gotten so close, been pumped in a grand final and then struggled to make it back. I suppose Waratah were in a similar position about a decade ago where they made the grand final against St Mary's, lost by 96 points, and then were sort of into football oblivion for a little while. How do Waratah avoid doing the same thing?
1: Making sure you keep everyone on the same page is important um, and just sort of double down on what you do well and then try to fix a few of those errors that they had um, towards the end of last season that cost them the grand final making the grand final from where they came from I think was a pretty good effort yeah. um and then maybe just addressing some of the pace and that sort of stuff I think they could have a bit more pace in there um and that'll sort of get them back in I reckon.
2: Mate how does Ryan Ayers go as a coach? He is a quiet operator you don't hear a lot about him in the media um but he from all reports does a pretty good job at the Warriors and the results speak for themselves what's his coaching philosophy like and how does he go?
1: Ryan is a pretty good coach. He's um, very well drilled. So trainings are very, um, very structured um, and that sort of thing. His game plan. I think he has the best game plan in the NTFL at the most Southern sort of style with the zone that they did last year. Um, and I think that's his real strength as a coach is having that. The, we are the buy-in from the group as well last year. Um, and they've got most, looking at the team list, I think they've got most of those blokes coming back. So they're really going to be a top three side. I think, if I had money on it now, I'd say Saints would probably go back-to-back, back, but I think Waratah's right up there again this year.
2: Last one on Waratah, Raf. Abe Ankers has had another excellent season in the ovens and Murray and won a flag with Wangaratta. I think he's been one of the best midfielders in the NTFL over the past few years. How highly do you rate him as a player?
3: Yeah, Abe's, Abe's is that real hard in, in and under, and he leads by example. Um, you know, when you talk about getting in and getting the footy and winning those hard balls, he, he you know, if you you jump on board with him and you got a midfield group following him um, and he's setting a standard, mate. You're, you're going to go a long way to winning a lot of games of footy and I rate A really highly. And, you know, he, even his performances throughout his Thunder career, um, you know, he's a contested footy um, master. So if he in the NFL, there's not many of those guys around. So yeah, I take my hat off, Dave's.
2: We still need to talk about the reigning Premier St Mary's and the three other big Premier League NTFL games. But we do need to go to a quick break. This is... NTFL talk. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. Finding a place to write your next chapter. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. We will love your listing. Talking about the NTFL, let's talk about the reigning premiers, St. Mary's. They're in action tonight against Waratah. Their captain, Nate Paredes, said in the NT News of his desire to go back-to-back. What type of leader Raff, is Nate Paredes?
3: Yeah, Nate Paredes is that quite humble type of bloke that we, um, you know, you don't want to compare anyone to Joel Selwood, but <laughs> Um, you know, he's really really softly spoken, Nate, but he's, he leads by his actions and, you know, he, he's one of the hardest trainers and sometimes you have to pull him up because you will go and play soccer like he did in the off-season and play footy down south. And then you to see him at the gym like every yeah, day. And then he turns up and he's doing every single running session at pre-season and, and leading away and almost winning every running session. So, um, you know, Nate is he puts the work in non-stop and you know, he's just getting super fitter every season and, you know, to think that he, Nate's going to probably be fitter than what he was the last couple of years um, is scary for any opposition because um, he's a ball magnet. He leads by example, like I said,
2: and, you know, he, once you jump on his back and follow, you know you're going in the right direction. Just a quick one here, Raph, but Saints normally always have a really good crop of flying players. Josh Smithson, Lucas Jellyman-Turner, Aaron Heppel seem to be players among that group this year. Tell us about Josh Smithson. He was a player that I I did notice last year, but it wasn't really until that grand final that I was like, wow, this guy can really play.
3: Yeah, definitely. And um, I I forgot that he played a bit of juniors for us as well because you just forget about types of blokes like that who are really quiet and then even like to see his... um, you know, when I was watching that final series I was like, Jesus, where did this guy come from? Um and then, you know, you, you look back and go, Actually he's played here before, you know, and then but he you know, he was unlucky not to get best on ground in that grand final and, you know, to get him back and committed to the club, you know, and also you mentioned uh Lucas Jellyman Turner, I think he'll be back up here living, which is a credit to him. Like he, he, he loves Darwin, he loves the Saint Mary's, um and, and he's one of the best with our juniors, like all the juniors love him. Um, whether it's the high shorts and tucked in jumper or the the yellow hair at times. But, you know, having quality guys like that commit and move up for the year is is, is what the big strengths are for
2: NTFL clubs. He certainly seems like a character. The Jellyman, great name too. Palmerston (laughs) versus Tiwi Bombers, Robbie Hale. It is go time now for Palmerston, surely. We were talking to Tavis Perry earlier. We had some technical difficulties there, but the club has added Philip Wills, Ashton Hams, the Farrah Brothers. They've got... Basically, the AFL Hall of Fame coming up for that one-off game. Kerry Ablett and Eddie Betts and all that. Surely, a finals berth must be a minimum expectation this year for the Magpies.
1: I think, internally, that should be the minimum expectation. But for mine, I don't I don't have a make in the five. Um, I do think it's go time. But those guys are a very experienced, older group. But they're going to need that younger group to come through and, and really show something because... Those older players are very good players, but they're not going to be able to carry that side into finals, I don't think. So they're going to need those next players, your Stephen Lamptons and those young kids. Josh Holland be the big ruckman. Those blokes need to go to the next level, I think, this season coming up.
2: Two-part question here on the Tiwi Bombers. Robbie, what does the club need to do this season to remain viable? I don't think they've won a game of football for about 18 months, but I'd hate to see a competition
1: without them. So what do they need to do, and what does the new coach, Brenton Toy, bring? Toysi, I think, is probably like, the best match day coach in the league. So I ran into Toysi three weeks ago, and he had said that they will be starting back, back a bit. So I think that means maybe the pre-season hasn't gone to plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of but similar. Yeah, so I was reading between the lines there. But I think I looked at their stats from last year, and they just give up too much uncontested marks. And if you take out the first two games of the year, where they lost by 20 points both games, the average losing margin after that was 105 points. Mm-hmm. So that's just not, not competitive enough for the, for the Bombers there. So correcting that, looking at their side, they've got a young side in, but Jakura's name, Mikey Coombs is named. So you've got some balls in there. So hopefully those guys can really bring that pressure and, and the young blokes follow them.
2: Wanderers and Darwin is the third game of the round. We need to fly through this one, Raf. Wanderers look very strong on paper. The name that stood out to me was Stephen Motlop named in the centre. What impact do you think he will have on the NTFL? And as a player who has done this and been in this position, what's it like returning to the NTFL after playing at the AFL? Is it a significantly easier standard? Is it hard to adjust? Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's hard to adjust because you're used to your game styles and your, you know, your players all being on the same ability or that running level. So, you know, Stephen's probably going to run to a certain spot and expect someone to get the ball there to him or, you know, um, he might be a couple ahead, steps ahead. So he might have to slow himself down and get used to the NTFL pace again and just might even have to go and get his own footy, uh, which is no doubt can do. Um, you know, someone with his ability, I'd be starting him on the ball and just go go do your own thing, mate. Go and go and get it and play footy and you know bring the players with you. Um, I ran into um, the skipper um, yesterday, so I can go, go on blank. Sorry. Um, yeah, and uh, you know he he's looking very very keen on the side, and he said if they're not a top three finish, um, then they'd be
2: disappointed. So um, I'm backing them. in Wanderers to so have a very good year. Dial and have named a strong side too. Nycliffe trio Liam Holt-Fitz, Coco Nicky and Kane Riley have all been named for the club. Liam Whelan, who is their defender from Coburg VFL, will play up forward. The Stokes brothers, Bradley and Jared, are the ones that I'm looking forward to, to this season. They've both had huge pre-seasons. Jarrod is out of tomorrow's game due to suspension, but Bradley, we be playing off the halfback flank. Robbie, we do not have very long at all, but Nycliffe versus Pine, the new team. I'm super excited to see how the Green Ants are going to go at Premier League level, but I must say, to give the Green Ants Nycliffe at Nycliffe in round one, gee, they've been thrown to the deep end, haven't they?
1: Yeah, I think they have. Looking at the Nycliffe side, they do look pretty reasonably strong. They do Nycliffe have twenty uh, 20 uh, 20 year olds, seven of them playing this week, which I think is really good for them moving forward. I was a bit worried with those young kids doing the preseason; they weren't going give, to be given an opportunity early. So Pints are going to, you know, they're going to go up against the Northcliffe side that does have a, a bit of youth in there, but you got the experience still with Islet Wilson, Philo through that midfield. It's going to be pretty, uh, yeah, big test for Pints.
2: Raph, we've got about 30 seconds here, but I am interested in your thoughts on Cameron Eilert. So he is morphing into some mythical figure at this stage. Basically, he just keeps on going around again. I think it's about his 23rd NTFL season. Where would you play him?
3: Uh, I think he's going to have to be that resting forward, you know, mid mid resting forward, um, and use experience more so than anything. Instead of trying to him to lead the way with his possession winning and you know his you know strengths, but also you could play him in a back pocket off a half back flank and let him control the game from there. Um, so you know, the, there's less running, there's less um, demand on the body, but
2: you know it's going to be a lot harder with Camry not having all those rest of those senior players around him. Very good, Raph. Thank you very much for joining us again, Raph. What does your weekend look like in 10 seconds?
3: Uh, Just get down to the footy, mate. Watch the boys. um, Hopefully the Saints
2: get off to a cracker start against Waratahs, and that's about it. Robbie, thanks very much for joining us, mate. Yep. All the best, guys. This has been SEM Fridays at the top end, 16, 11 a.m. Thanks to and Holland-Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter.